Welcome to Weekend Warriors. It's the weekly foreign affairs podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. By all accounts, freshman congresswoman Ilan Omar of Minnesota, you've probably heard of her. She 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 in many ways represents the the new Democratic Party. She's the first Somali American ever elected to the United States Congress. Um, Omar overcame very humble beginnings as a refugee. She's a young mother. She's Muslim. She's a woman of color. She wears her progressive ideals on her sleeve. She is not afraid to go to the far left. She's not afraid to take on her own party. Um, but while she checks most of the boxes, one would expect for a you know rising star of the Democratic Party, she somewhat departs from the the conventional orthodoxy in in one key way. Most Democrats remain ardent supporters of the state of Israel. She, however, is a vocal and frequent critic of the Jewish state. The Minnesota Congresswoman is one of only two members of Congress to support the controversial Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, or BDS movement. Now, BDS asserts that Israel is an apartheid state akin to South Africa, and it works to pressure organizations and companies to isolate the nation, both politically and economically. Some also would say it's it's just a smear. At times, Omar's hostility to Israel, though, has taken on an even darker tone. In a 2012 tweet, Omar claimed that Israel has, quote, hypnotized the world. That is language usually reserved for anti-Semitic demagoguery and conspiracy theories. Uh, She said she wasn't aware of that at the time. On its face, Omar's comment and indeed her her broader-seeming hostility toward the Jewish state would appear out of place in a Democratic Party that, you know, styles itself as the party of of diversity and tolerance. But not only have Omar's views and comments been tolerated, um, they've been rewarded. Last month, she was appointed to the House Foreign Affairs Committee, where her views are likely to get a big platform in, in legislative policy debates. What does that say about this modern Democratic Party? Well, joining me to help answer that question is Jonathan Tobin. He's editor of Jewish News Syndicate and contributor to National Review. And, and Jonathan, you wrote a piece about, about this, which got my attention. Um, we'll, we'll get into what you describe as a double standard um, on the left. But for the uninitiated, talk me through what makes Elon Omar's views anti-Semitic. That's a, that's a very serious charge. And I want you to explain that for people who might not have been following what she said. Well, first, Essie, thanks for having me yep. on the podcast. Um, I, you know, I want to second the point that you opened with, mm. is that Ilan Omar is in many ways an admirable American success story sure. as an immigrant. And um, there's much about her that is you know, attractive politically. The reason why I make the link to anti-Semitism is not a question of political differences Mm. either within the context of the United States or even within the context of people who disagree about what policies Israel should pursue about the peace process or its conflict with the Palestinians. Right. 
BDS is something very different from criticism of Israel. Criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic. Right. Criticism of, 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 this, of the government of the state of Israel is something that, you know, uh, 7 million Jews get up in Israel every day and criticize their yeah. government. This is we Americans criticize our government uh, without uh, calling into question our loyalty to the United States or our patriotism. So mm-hmm. let's make that very clear. The point about BDS is that its purpose is not to affect Israel's policies, per se, Mm. uh, that the border should be in this place as opposed to that place, that its policies toward the Palestinians should be this rather than that. BDS's purpose is the elimination of Israel as a Jewish state, the elimination of the country that has existed for 70-plus years. Mm. It's as as clear as that. Now, I want to make it clear that this is by its nature, by definition, anti-Semitic. And people often say, well, I'm just anti-Zionist, I'm not anti-Semitic, which means, you know, I like Jews, Jews are my, you know, some of my best friends are Jews, I just don't like this Israel. The response to that is that Israel is the one Jewish state on this planet. There are lots of Muslim countries, there are lots of overtly and avowedly Christian countries, other faiths, you know, other nationalities. Israel is the one small Jewish state on the planet. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to single out that one small country and to attempt to deny its people rights that you would not think to deny to anybody else, to Mm -hmm. any other country, there is no other movement in the world um, that is focused on the elimination of a single country the way anti-Zionists are focused and, and their BDS component are focused on eliminating the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, when you are practicing discrimination against one group, one people, that is, you know, that's bias. Now, as the lawyers would say, the term of art for bias against Jews is anti-Semitism. So I'm starting from the point is if you are not willing to deny, to give to the Jews the right to their homeland, no matter what, no matter where you want to draw the border, the right to live in peace and security, to be there, to defend themselves. If you're going to deny that to the Jews, I'm sorry, that's anti-Semitic, because you're not doing that to anybody else. Right. So that's the point about BDS. That's why it is so toxic. And let me add one more point. Mm -hmm. Wherever the BDS movement raises its banners, whether in Europe or on American college campuses, Acts of overt anti-Semitism, intimidation of Jews, or of even violence, almost always follow, because it's linked to hate. It is not merely an opinion about a policy. It is a movement dedicated to destroy one country based on one ethnic religious people. So what do you say about the idea that her comments and her position have largely been sort of ignored by the Democratic Party, by other leaders in the Democratic Party? Well, it's, it's an interesting point. Right after the November election, when uh, both Omar, uh, who succeeds, <laughs> succeeds Keith Ellison, um, yeah. another Muslim American who has his own ethical problems, but yet got, a, got elected to being Attorney General of Minnesota, yep. and uh, Rashida Tlaib, who was uh, you know, a Palestinian-American who won a seat in, uh, in Michigan, who's the other BDS supporter yeah. in Congress. I wrote a piece then saying, you know, they're, they have really bad beliefs, but the leadership of the Democratic Party 
um, is still um, is still pro-Israel, avowedly pro-Israel. Nobody's more pro-Israel, say, than House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. Right, right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's an ardent friend of Israel. He leads the mission to Israel every summer, yeah. <laughs> you know, for the new members, which Tlaib and Omar have rather pointedly said they're not going on. Um, I might add that the new chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee is uh, Representative Elliot Engel of New York, whose political views, whose, whose ideas about the Middle East conflict, quite frankly, are more in line with the Likud in Israel, the, mm. the, the party of uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, than they are with most Democrats. So the point was, you know, like, what can they do? They're just a pair of, you know, backbench newcomers. But what we've learned about this new Congress is that both Omar and Tlaib and their pal uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. who is, are, are more than just, you know, a bunch of newbies without right. any influence. They have enormous influence because they are so good at media, because the media is interested in them. Yeah. And also, there's another factor. As much as the Democratic leadership is pro-Israel, um, a lot of the base of the Democratic Party is deeply influenced by intersectional uh, in- right. ideology, which is this idea, this, this sort of belief system that identifies um, the struggle for civil rights in the United States with the struggles of all third world peoples in which they include the Palestinian war to destroy Israel. So mm-hmm. there, it, it holds the idea that if you're for civil rights in America, you should also be against, you know, against Israel's existence, which I thoroughly reject. And I think most decent American, most Americans reject. So they're not alone. And it's clear that the Democratic leadership is a little bit intimidated by that. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's not just that Omar got, you know, and only days after Steve King, who is a sort of white nationalist outlier in the Republican Party, who's been an embarrassment to the GOP for many years, he, was, he finally went too far. <laughs> and the Republican leadership yeah. basically, you know, evicted him from their caucus. He, he, was, he was denied all committee assignments. And only a couple of days after that, Omar was given a seat on the Foreign Relations Committee. Yeah. And when asked about her views, Elliot Engel, who, as I said, was basically a Likudnik, not, not so much a Democrat on the Middle East, just said, well, I hope she grows. Um, <laughs> right. Hakeem Jeffries, another, another a congressman in the Democratic leadership who was a supporter of Israel, said, well, they're esteemed colleagues. So they're not pushing back against hate where, the way Republicans belatedly did. They're kind of rewarding it, and it shows the trend that is growing, that, that is worrisome about the Democrats. You know, if you look at polls in terms of support for Israel, Americans are more supportive of Israel as a whole than they've ever been. Mm. The, you know, the poll numbers are enormous, but they're driven by a partisan division. Um, almost 90% of Republicans are supportive of Israel. <laughs> the figures for Democrats are half that. Um, and um, it, and it, it's a matter of concern for those of us who see the alliance between these two democracies is based on common values. Um, and it's, under, you know, it's hard to maintain a bipartisan consensus when that happens. Let me say that it's not just, you know, Omar's, you know, did a, you know, a terrible tweet in 2012 for which he kind of walked back and kind of apologized but didn't apologize in some ways. She has said other things in the last few weeks, totally mischaracterizing the nature of Israel. She knows nothing about Israel. It's, it's, be blunt. She said other religions aren't recognized. That's not true. All of faiths 
are given government support in Israel. The, the problem for, in Israel, as far as most Israelis are concerned, is that there's no civil, there's no civil marriage, not that other religions aren't, aren't right. recognized. She doesn't understand that. It's not an apartheid state. Arabs serve in the Knesset. They serve in the army. They're judges. Right. <laughs> there's, there are no restrictions. The, certainly what goes on in the West Bank is, a, is an anomalous situation, but it, you know, it's driven by the fact that the Palestinian leadership has rejected peace offers by Israel, which would have given them an independent state many times over um, in the last 20 years. They've rejected those things because their leadership, even the moderates of Fatah, as well as the extremists of Hamas, are still wedded to this 100-year-old war against Zionism and aren't willing to recognize the legitimacy of a Jewish state no matter where its borders are drawn. But yeah. that's the problem. Omar doesn't understand it and actually spreads different disinformation about it while calling and supporting a movement that is, as I said, based on hate. That's a problem, and it's a problem the Democratic leadership doesn't know, seems to not know what to do about. Well, yeah, and that was very clear, I thought, um, around the Women's March. Where, which faced um, a number of allegations, enduring allegations of anti-Semitism, of being a little too friendly to Louis Farrakhan, for example. You mentioned Keith Ellison. He had uh, that issue as well. Um, it seems as though the Democratic Party does not know how to silo this the way you mentioned Republicans siloed Steve King, belatedly, I agree, but they don't seem to know how to kick this to the curb. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it goes back to this intersectional craziness that has infected the left and has a lot of support yeah. um, among the base of the Democratic Party, not, not certainly not the people who get elected to Congress for right. the most part. But the fact, you know, Tlaib and, and Omar are outliers, but they're kind of the the thin edge of the wedge of a growing trend in the Democratic Party. Your mentioning of, of the Women's March is mm-hmm. really important to this discussion mm-hmm. because the leader, you know, the Women's March was this, you know, amazing, you know, sort of grassroots movement that popped up with Trump's inauguration, creating these enormous demonstrations and had a lot of, and just got all this, you know, sympathetic press from you know, a media that obviously is sympathetic to the resistance against Trump, but also right. because they seem to be a very attractive you know, as journalists, we understand it. They were a good story. They had had people leading it that seemed to be, to be very sort of attractive mm. uh, role models. But in fact, their leaders, um, its president, Tamika Mallory, is an ardent supporter of one of the country's leading hate mongers, Louis right. Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam, which spews anti-Semitism, um, yeah. sort of hate against all whites, too. But let's just focus on, want to just focus on the Jews. He's a hate monger. Yeah. And she's she's a cheerleader for him. She's not just like not willing to to condemn him. She's she's right. someone who cheers him. Has gone to his events, embraces him publicly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Linda Sarsour, who is another one, is another sort of supporter of Farrakhan, but also as a Palestinian American, a fervent supporter of BDS yeah. and anti-Israel, and has even basically said, if you're a Zionist, you're, if you're a supporter of Israel, you. You know, you're not a real woman and you don't belong in their movement, Yeah, which is why they've lost so much support. It, it's become compromised mm-hmm. by this hate um, for Jews and for Israel. And at a time when you know, there's this, a tide of anti-Semitism sweeping over the world in yeah. Europe, Asia, um, fortunately in the United States, that's not happening. But it 
does have this sort of, you know, as much as we, we worry, rightly, especially after what happened in Pittsburgh, about right-wing extremism yeah. and hate that can turn into violence, yeah. the, the support or at least the acquiescence for this kind of anti-Semitism on the far left is edging its way into sort yeah. of uh, mainstream. It's, um, it's deeply... Uh, circles with the Women's March and with members of Congress like Tlaib and Omar. Yeah, it's, it's deeply disturbing, and I'm surprised that more people aren't having this conversation, but I'm really glad, Jonathan Tobin, that you joined me today to have it. I think it's important, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. That'll do it for me. I'm Essie Cup. Thanks for tuning into this edition of Weekend Warriors. Thank you.